dismissed and you may be seated. invite you to take your Bibles and took, t- turn them to Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to begin in Matthew 19, but Exodus 20 is our text. And I invite you to take out two other things. They both came, one is the bulletin that also was inside of the bulletin is a kind of like a bookmark, a little insert into it because I'll point to it in the sermon, especially at the end. The insert has four instructions. To combine our knowledge and active love, we should look at each commandment from a pers- four perspectives. So I'm going to point you to that at the end, and I encourage you to take that and use that in your Bible. Use that this coming, these coming months as we look through these Ten Commandments. Plan to start, preach ten weeks. We'll take a few breaks. We'll have a few other preachers preach on the I Am passages like Mike did last week, and it did an amazing job of helping us see uh, John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. What Mike preached on is a call to love God with all your heart and you shall have no other gods before me and run away from any other idols. That's how Jesus, Jesus' call in John 6. The other thing that I'd encourage you to take is the back sheet of this bulletin. On the back, each week, we have the main points. Sometimes I want to give a lot of points, and I want you to have them there. And this morning, you have five of that, because I want to give some really uh, some instructions in how we are to listen to the Ten Commandments, how we are to study them, how we are to ponder them, how to meditate on them, and we're going to get there in just a minute. My sermon is divided up in two sections this morning. Introduction to the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment. Next week we'll take second commandment. Each week I'll probably say some introductory things that I didn't cover in this first week of introduction. So when Jesus was on earth, he was serving, he was doing miracles, he was with his disciples, and a rich Jewish young man came up to him. It says he was even a ruler in that time. And he came up to him and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. What things do I need to do? Or what good deeds must I do? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good, teacher? There is no good but God. There's no one good but God. Do you think I'm God? I mean, do you, do you think you're good? I mean, it could be implied in that too. And, and he, Jesus said, well, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. He said, which ones? And so Jesus went on and gave him the sixth commandment, the seventh commandment, the eighth commandment, the ninth commandment, went back and did the fifth commandment. And then that summary, and love your neighbor as yourself. Murder, adultery, stealing, not bearing false witness, obey and honor your parents. That rich religious man said, got it. Check, 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 check. Anything else? I've been doing it since my childhood. Jesus looked at him and he said, then you lack this to be complete. Go sell all your possessions. 
give them to the poor, and come follow me. And you will, you won't regret it. I wonder if his head went down. He walked away. He couldn't do it. See, it says here he had many possessions. I would say they possessed him. Jesus said earlier, you cannot love God, serve God, or, and money. You see, that rich young ruler thought he had kept the commandments, but he hadn't. He thought he was good, but he wasn't. He, he thought he was all, and he could earn eternal life. He couldn't. I can't earn eternal life, neither can you. I'm not good, neither are you. Hope that, hope that doesn't offend you in one way, and I hope it does offend you in another way. None of us are good according to this law, as we're going to see. And all of us are given grace and mercy, and he makes us a different kind of good. And as this story in Matthew chapter 19 unfolds, we start to learn about God's miraculous ways of salvation, and I hope we see that. But this morning, I use that to introduce to us the Ten Commandments. Do you know the Ten Commandments? In fact, I want to ask you a question. I want some response. If you think that you could stand up, I'm not going to ask you to do it, by the way, so you can, so you can be careful. But if you think you could accurately give Ten Commandments in order right now, if you think you could, raise your hand. Yeah. Wow. It's not a real high percentage. Okay. Um, I hope that in about two to three months, that percentage would significantly change. Not because my goal of this sermon series is for you to memorize the Ten Commandments or know those Ten Commandments in order, which are all on the back here for a cheat sheet. It's kind of the abbreviated versions of it. That's not my goal. So, wow, you guys are literally biblically literate. You know the Bible in these ways. That's not the goal. But I do pray that you'll learn them, and in learning them, they'll take on a meaning that you would say, they're part of my prayer life now. They're part of my parenting. They're part of my, my, my life. And it has only been in the last probably 30, 40 years that the Christian church has started to actually ignore the value of the Ten Commandments in our prayer life, in our church life, in our, in our practical training of young people. And I would say, I, I grew up in a church. I'm 44. I have grew up going to church since I was, I mean, I was born in the nursery probably or something like that. And, and I never remember hearing a sermon series or a teaching series on the Ten Commandments. Now, you might have, but I don't. And I want to I correct that. I, hopefully, I'll hear it myself and practice what I preach. Um, do you know how the Ten Commandments relate to your life? Do you know how they relate to a New Testament Christian? Do you, do you love the law? Would you, put that, would you put that description to your life, I love the law? 
Um, could you say the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul? Or as the Psalmist 119, oh, how I love your law. I mean, law, I love gospel, but law, huh? How did the psalmist say that? I think he got it wrong. He's, or he's Old Testament. Open my eyes, the psalmist says, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I spent this last few weeks writing down from Psalm 119. I encourage you to do that. Go through Psalm 119 and just like start marking where like how the law and commandments relate as you go into this sermon series to go, man, maybe I need to adjust my thinking and feeling about it. Because my guess, for some good reasons, by the way, and some for we need to be, we need to be discipled or instructed into thinking differently. The Ten Commandments. The ten words, actually, is in the Hebrew. That's where it was originally written. Put on two tablets of stone given to Moses on the fiery Mount Sinai. It's also called the Torah. It's called the Ten Words, which is where we get the word Decalogue. Ten words. And there's so much to say about these things, but I want to start with five statements. Put these statements together, and I mean it, I, I meant each phrase very carefully, and so that's why I wanted you to have them in the bulletin, because if you're not a note taker, you still have them. If you don't have them and didn't get a bulletin, hopefully I have more. If not, it'll be on actually on the sermons page, and I'll probably paste them on Facebook, or you can ask for them. They, they would be helpful to you if you're serious. And I think most of you are here serious to say, I want to take in God's word, and I want to grow in it this, this year. Okay, here are the 10 statements that I, I want to say and explain briefly. Number one, I want us to, as we go into this, the 10 commandments are not a means of salvation, but they are a gift to a saved people. Okay? The Ten Commandments are not a means of salvation. They are not a way in which you can get saved, but they are a gift to an already saved people. When the question came, what must I do to be saved? It was not answer, keep the commandments and you're good. That was not Jesus' point at all. He was seeking to reveal something in the heart that actually revealed he wasn't there yet and hadn't received the good news of Jesus. But I want you to see what I read at the beginning, when you all were standing and I read the law, read the Ten Commandments, I want you to re read with me, look with me at Exodus 21 and 2. It's often called the preface of the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he goes into the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I don't know what you call it, but I will call being brought out of Egypt miraculously, brought out of slavery through great signs and wonders in order to, through miracles and power like man in the wilderness and signs through the, 
through the wilderness to a promised land where they were going to inherit. I call that God's grace and salvation and power that came before God gave them the law. You see, we must understand grace always comes before, before this instruction command. And in the Ten Commandments, grace comes first. The grace of God coming and saving a people. And so it is with us as we approach the Ten Commandments. I do pray that some of you will get saved if you're not saved, and I believe God would use it. But it will not be saved because all of a sudden you'll say, I'm going to be a better do-gooder. I'm going I'm to keep these Ten Commandments. Check, 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 check. And whew, now I have insurance that God's going to save me now. These commandments are not a means of getting God to like you or be right with you or be your father or have a savior or to get your sins washed away, but they are for already saved people and how we, and they are a gift. First rescue, then instruction and command. You see, these, the type of law keeping that we as Christians in the New Testament are called, and I would have said in the Old Testament, we are with God's help, and we say by the Holy Spirit, we are to keep the law by loving God with all our heart and loving our neighbor as ourself, not as an attempt to win God's favor, but because we already have his favor in Jesus Christ, and in And in so many ways, because we have his favor, these Ten Commandments teach us a form and a substance of how we might please the one who loves us already. And so we go, he loves us. And so he he says, no other gods before me. So that's got to be really good. I got to figure that out because he loves me and he's for me. And I shall love my neighbor as myself. I, I shall not murder. Now, okay, I, got, I haven't murdered somebody literally, but we're going to dig into what that really means. And so I pray, as you think of this first one, it's not, you're not going to get saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. But saved people see it, view it as a gift, so that's why they can, like, they can grab Psalm 19 or Psalm 119 and say things like, The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. Or open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. Or I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. I love his commandments. What? Law? I love and I meditate on your statues. We're going to, over 10 sermons, meditate on his statues. I, I just pray that I, I will do it justice because it's awesome. I hope I don't get in the way. Okay. God's command reveals God's character. And I want to just say this. God's commands are custom made for our good. My Suburban out there was made for unleaded gas. And without it, it will not run. It will not run on something else. So we were made to run on God and his ways. And his Ten Commandments are how God made us to live. That's number one. Number two, the Ten Commandments are not mere recommendations, but imperatives from the maker and the Lord of the universe. So as we read these Ten Commandments, as we study them, these are not mere 
This is just a suggestion for you in case you want to live. I've been around a while and I think this might be good for you, kind of grandfatherly advice to us. No, they are imperatives. You know what imperatives mean? Commands from the maker. I made you and so I own you. I'm the Lord of the universe. So I call the shots. If you are a baptized Christian, just Lord and Savior, he said Jesus Christ. That means Jesus calls the shots. That means I'm called to follow him. Now I trust him. He's my Savior. And so I, I actually follow him in obedience to, by trusting. This is the point I want us to make. Let us go into these Ten Commandments. And let's not think of them as optional exercises for grace-saved Christians. Well, I'm saved by grace. So these Ten Commandments, they're kind of optional because he did the main thing. Since you said in the first part that you don't get saved by keeping the commandments, optional, good advice, recommendations, but that's all. You see, Adam and Eve, our first parents, Eve, our first woman in the Bible, she ignored how important the commands of God are and how serious it is. Satan came to Eve and said, you shall not surely die if you eat of that tree. Yeah, I guess it's not that big of a deal. Instead of saying, what are you talking about, Satan? The sovereign God who made me and gave me my soul loves me and put me in a tree full of trees in a full of yeses with just one no, full of yeses. He's good. And if he thinks I shouldn't eat, if he says not to eat of this tree, I just trust him. Get away, you liar. He's good and he loves me. Didn't believe the sovereign God of the universe. You'll not die. If you eat of this tree that he's forbidden, you'll be like him. And that, as though that would be a good thing. The commandments of God. So when we see, you shall have no other gods before me. Honor your father and mother. You should not commit adultery. You shall not covet, to name a few foundational ones. Let us all who believe in this God go, we're going to take this seriously. Psalm 19.11, moreover, by your law is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. That's why the psalmist would say, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So the second, second instruction is, they're not mere recommendations. They're imperatives from the maker and Lord of the universe. Oh, Breaking God's law is rebellion against God. It's sin against God. It is saying, God, I hate you. I prefer my ways. Oh, let's, let's hate sin and love God. Number three, the Ten Commandments are not a minimalist checklist of morality, but the revelation of God's will for our whole lives. Let me explain that for a minute. The Ten Commandments are not a minimalist checklist of morality, but the revelation of God's will for our lives. I think that rich ruler at the beginning of the story with Jesus thought, there's nobody that I've ever killed, never murdered. 
Um, I can't remember ever stealing anything. Didn't steal. Remember when Jesus was up on a mountain and he said, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now what Jesus was not saying, he's not saying the Old Testament law said this, but I'm adding to the law and this is better. So throw that out. Jesus was not doing that. He was saying, you should have understood the heart behind the law. I'm not just for a bunch of standard, just a minimalist. Oh, I did the very minimum. Check. Got it. It's a checklist. It's something that gets into our whole lives. And in fact, that's why as we get into it, we're going to see, man, we so fall short of it. And it should cause us to fall to our knees and say, grace, I need grace. Have mercy on me. Help change my heart, my motives, my desires. Because what we're going to see with these commandments, it's not about some checklist. We're going to see that it is that not committing adultery is more than that. Not just literally having sexual relations with some other spouse that's not your own, but it is having a lustful intent in your heart towards another person. And we're going to actually go beyond that and see, I think that the heart of the law was not only am I not supposed to murder or insult or have a despising attitude or a lustful attitude, just using those two that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount, but I even have a far greater obligation according to this law. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And I am to love them. I am to not murder, hate, despise, but that person that I'm tempted to despise and hate, I'm supposed to be for his good and to pray for him and care that he, he would be made right. I don't, I, I'm not just allowed to just stay not negative. I'm, I'm, I'm called to imitate. That, that's heavy. <clears throat> It's for our whole lives, our whole beings, our minds, our hearts. Who can attain to it? Which leads to the next point, number four. The Ten Commandments are not a cold book of conduct. Not just some cold manual or conduct, but a call to love God and enjoy Him forever. The Ten Commandments are not a, is not just a cold book. Boy, I got that. Even the heart stuff. But in, if we're ever going to attain to it, it is a call to love God and enjoy Him forever. When the Pharisees and Sadducees gathered to Jesus, actually, they were silenced. The, a lawyer came to Jesus. When it said lawyer, he was of the law, the Old Testament. He was a student of the Old Testament law. Came to Jesus and he was trying to trick him or test him. And he said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus didn't give one of the Ten Commandments. He gave a summary of the commandments. It's very instructive to you and to me. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments 
say, because we love God, we can love our neighbor. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Deuteronomy 6.5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. You see, the goal of the law and the purposes of our lives is to love God. What God is like this? If you read pagan literature, and the, if, you medieval, if you read ancient literature in regards to the gods in Greece or Rome or, or any other religion, you find gods that they demand rituals and sacrifices in order to appease them and bring them something good. God says, I will have your love. I, the rescuing God, will have your devotion. And I'm going to bring you into a promised land. And I'm going to care for you. I'm calling you to love me with all your, all your being. And we love God. We are to love God above all. And we are to love than anything else. And we are to love anything else with God. And anything we love with God, we are to love him in the goal of, be, of loving God even more. Now, that's something to think on. We're going to think on it. And when we love God, we are loving the most lovely and life-giving reality, the only life-giving reality, being our maker and lover of our souls. The Ten Commandments are lived out with a deep love for God, and I pray that we will understand that there is no way of keeping these Ten Commandments without a growing deep and abiding love for God that he, he must give us. The last is number five. The Ten Commandments are not a set of regulations for self-righteous do-gooders, but a mirror and a light producing humility and dependence. So let me say that again. The commandments are not a set of regulations for self-righteous hypocrites, do-gooders, like that rich young ruler was well-intended maybe, or the Pharisees, or us. Instead, it's like a mirror. We look at the Ten Commandments rightly, and we'll go, I don't like what I'm seeing in the mirror. But thankfully, it's also a light that points us to a way in which God brings grace. That can, Because as we read the whole Bible, and we see God's intent and purpose, in the New and Old Testament, we'll see God's light shines away for us to have healing and health and growth. And so I pray, faith church, as God's law shapes our life, God's word, God's gospel shapes our life, and as we start to keep the Ten Commandments more, so we say, man, I'm still sinning, I'm still breaking God's law, but I feel like God's growing me. He's growing my heart to love him more. It will not make us go, I'm pretty good now. I. You're bad. I'm really good. It'll, it'll do a unique thing of the opposite where I think the most godly Christians in the past, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, on his dying bed, God used him for 40 years as a pastor, helped save souls, rescue people. And the more he grew in the truth of God's word, he realized how much of a sinner he was and how much enjoyment he had in his saving God. 
and he was humble and dependent. And I pray that as we, the result of this, study the Ten Commandments, we'll be more humbled because we'll go, I can't, he must. But he does promise to help me. With that said, so with these things, it's, it's gospel. It's good news. Not the, com- the commandments are not to be read as means to be saved, but they're a gift to us. They're not recommendations. We need to take them seriously. They're not a minimal checklist, but boy, they involve our whole life. But in the end, fourthly, they involve our life to love him with all our heart, and they better humble us as we look in the mirror of God's word. By the way, those five can be turned into prayer requests. Please do that. Would you take those five this week and would you pray them? God, would you make these things true in my life? Help me to understand this. So with that said, let's just take a few minutes and let's ponder the first and pivotal commandment, the first commandment. And in some ways, though I won't spend as much time today, we will always be touching on this first commandment because they touch every other commandment. Just like I would say the 10th commandment touches all other commandments too. The 10th commandment, you shall not covet, is about our desires. God cares about our desires in everything, and they all relate to God. And the first one relates to God. The first commandment is this. The Lord said, I am the Lord your God, verse 1, verse 2. And the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. There's only one true God. Choose the God of Israel as the right God. Christianity and Israel taught there's monotheism. There is only one true God. There is only one real God. All the others are fakes. They're either demonic or just made up. All the other gods are false gods. They're idols. And when we fall down to them, we are worshiping something fake and God will have none of it for his people. And so this commandment is foundational. In fact, it keeps all the others together. When God says you shall not murder, when you sin with adultery or with lies, you're actually having other gods before you at that moment. So I want to just give you three ways in which we keep this first commandment. I got them from Kevin DeYoung. He has a beautiful little book called Ten Commandments. I don't remember the subtitle, like how to understand them, how to live them. But the Ten Commandments, I want to give you these three. Number one, we are to worship God exclusively. We, should worship, we must worship God exclusively. The most common creed of the Old Testament was Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. It was called the Shema, which means hear in Hebrew. Hear this, people. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord your God is one. Yahweh is one. That was, Lord is one. Yahweh is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. When he said he is one, it means... There is none God, and he is to have absolute attention in your life. You are to worship him exclusively. Did you know that we're all worshipers? God wired us to be worshipers. You can't help be a worshiper. If you're an atheist, you're still a worshiper. Um, Being a worshiper means that, as Paul Tripp says, you attach your identity your meaning and purpose, your inner sense of well-being onto something. You either 
get those things vertically from your creator or you get them from other people, from yourself, from possessions, money, sex, um, comfort, which myself. Uh, but, but you do get your identity from something. And the insight, this insight has everything to do with how our lives become what it is. Uh, all our, our lives, every, you're, gonna, you're worshiping this afternoon by the decisions you make. And it is only when we love God above all else that I'll ever be able to live out the other commandments, to love my neighbor as myself. You can't love your neighbor as yourself without loving God first. The foundational level, all the difficulties in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work, in, within your own self, your own battles within yourself about your, your body image or whatever else, your self-image, all of it relates to this fundamental relationship with where are you getting your sense of identity, your meaning, your purpose, your inner sense of well-being. Is it God or is it something else? God made you to live upon him. And what this first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. He was saying, besides me, there, besides me, there's no one else. Or it could be before me in that before my face, you will never live, never, if you're going to have another God, make sure it's not in front of me. But of course, I know your thoughts. So it's, your thoughts aren't, aren't always in front of me. And is there really any place that's not in front of me in your life? No. You shall have no other gods before me. Your God, God is meant to be our only God. He is first. He is unique to our loves and affections. That doesn't mean we don't love other things. We have to love our wives. We can love other things. We can say, oh man, I love this beef roast today. But we don't mean that in a way we go, there's only one kind of love that is exclusively for God and it impacts everything else. You see, the first commandment of exclusivity, meaning God alone gets this kind of worship. It is a, it's an either or, not a both hand with this kind of love. We, we, what I mean by that is, God says, you cannot, you must love me, and you can't love money in the same way. You can't rest in money the same way. You cannot rest in comfort in the same way, in relationships in this way. All these things might be gifts from me, but they will not be your gods. If they are your God, we have a, tr we have a problem. In fact, it's, he wants to remove all ands from our life. God and. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, he says you cannot serve God and money. You can't. You can't do it. You cannot serve two masters. Either you will be devoted to the one and hate the other. You will love the one and despise the other. With God and for God, we are to love everything. Um. In fact, I want you to think about it this way. I read this this week. The 101 things you're going to do for the rest of the day. Just imagine you have 101 more things you're going to do today. Things you'll think, you'll do, you'll act. Uh, whatever it is, go to small group tonight, drive home, take a nap, go to work, whatever it is. 
The, God, the person that worships God exclusively learns slowly to go, those 101 things are opportunities for, for unique ventures for me to show my love, express my love to God, and to grow my love of God, and to show my love to God to other people. Um, my relationships need to be viewed, all of those things, from the lens is God is my God. If, if our lives were a pie, man, Molly made it, it was in the freezer and she pulled it out, but it was an apple pie. It was amazing last night. Loved it. Um, our relationships, if, if, they were, if, if our lives were a pie in our relationship with God, a love relationship with God, it would not be the biggest piece of the pie. That's not how we are to view it. With all the other smaller pieces, the other segments of my life, sex, marriage, um, money, relationships, church, work, any, you know, just my body, every, social media, friends, thing. In fact, God, my relationship with God is the ingredients that makes that pie, and it touches every other piece of the pie. He is not a spoke in my bicycle wheel. Imagining a bicycle wheel, he's not the spoke in my bicycle wheel with all the other spokes of that wheel being other aspects of my life, like what I just said, social media or movies or friends or all the things in our lives. But instead, God is the center of the wheel, the inner rim and the outer rim of that wheel that holds all the spokes together and in perspective. The first commandment says, I will be your only God. Just like when I got married or when you got married, in either literally we said or it was insinuated in our vows that she'll be my only wife forsaking all others. What if I came home and said, "Hun, I have this friend. She's great and you'll love her. I love you the most and she's also special and I'm going to spend three-fifths of my time with you, but there'll be times that I need to get away with her. I mean, you go, I don't even like you talking that way, Pastor Daniel. <laughs> I don't like talking about that either way, but I God says, you, will, you can't have me as three-fifths God, or four-fifths God, or 90% God. If you're not worshiping me as God, if you're, you're, you're sharing me, she would be mad. And rightfully so. We all feel that indignation. She should be jealous, a righteous jealousy. And so is God. We're going to see some of his jealousy next week, and we're going to see how it's really good. Yes, God's jealousy is righteous and holy. And there is a type of jealousy we're all meant to have that is righteous and good. And that's why James writes at the end, and he says, oh, don't go after other idols. He says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is, is enmity with God? It's, you're being an enemy of God. When, you, when you, the world takes and captivates your heart, and therefore they become a God to you, rather than the Lord your God. Don't you suppose it is for no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over his spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Guys, when we worship, we don't just worship for an hour. We worship what we love 
what draws our trust, our security, our praise, our hopes, whatever controls you, I'll tell you what, for far too many of us, it's, it's comfort. It's the security that money brings. That's why we TV controls us. That's why gaming controls us. That's why social media, all these things, they are our satisfaction. Oh, yeah, there's God, too. I believe him. Our plans, our agendas, our money, our parenting, our grandparenting, our retirement, our pets, our decisions, our church involvement, our service, our TV viewing habits, our friendships, our relationships, and everything in between, all ask the question, who are you worshiping? Do you view them all as way of showing, do you view them all as an opportunity to express my love for God, my trust in him, my hope in him? I want to grow it. Or are they just something else? If we can't bring God into them, we can't have them. Now, a lot of them we can have. We need to discipline our hearts to say, is God the central mover? Is he guiding all of that together? Is he the central ingredient, my worship and love to God? That's my first point is just worship God exclusively. And that leads to this. We need to shun idols, all idols. Pastor Mike referred to this last Sunday. I just want to say this. All idol, this really implies that, frankly, we, are, we have, our hearts are, uh, we're going to see this some next week. We're going to see this throughout. If you read the Old Testament, read Deuteronomy chapter 12. He's making it very clear. You shall not worship and serve other gods. They are fake gods. They have, Psalm 115, they have mouths but do not speak, ears that do not hear. They have hands but they can't do anything. Those who make them, they actually become like them, and so do all who trust in them. Our idols are futile, they're fake, they're counterfeit, they tempt us and lure us, whatever they may be. They appeal to our flesh, and they are thrown at our eyes all the time by Satan and the world and our own flesh. And we are to, we are to listen to the gospel the Apostle John, who ends his letter, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, beloved, flee from idolatry. And it's not just the, I don't think most people are in danger of coming home and and having your prayers in front of a statue. Not that kind of idol. Anything that gets in the way in which we have invented or have in place of our trust to God, trust in. Oh, and we're susceptible to it. And thank God he saves idol worshipers all the time. And he is still working in us and saving us. That's the last one. We keep the tenth, this first commandment. But I just, I want to conclude with this. We turn to Christ uniquely. The Bible paints the picture that we are the bride. I use that imagery of an unfaithful spouse that wants to share his marriage with someone else. And we say that's disgusting, that's wrong, it's, it's not God is intended, and there's jealousy. Well, the Bible paints the picture that we are the bride that was betrothed to God, and we were the unfaithful spouse running after other lovers. Lovers who are inferior, and in all this we disgrace and displease the living God. 
And God is jealous and he is right and he is perfect and he is strong and powerful and he will judge all sin. Yet in his love, he said, I'm going to send my son to rescue those adulterous, whoremongering people, sinners. And I'm going to make them now a beautiful people. I'm going, to, I'm going to remove their idols from their heart. And I'm going to give them a heart that's new by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus came to do. He came in to, to lay down his life in order to rescue us. And when he calls us to himself, he says, take me in your stead. Take my forgiveness. Take my sacrifice. Take my life upon you. I lived it perfectly. And I kneeled before the wrath of God for your immorality and for your law-breaking and your rebellion, your treason to an allegiance to God and God alone. And God planned it to save you. And he loves you and he calls you to love him with all your heart and all your soul. And he'll take care of you. You'll go through trials, but oh, he'll love you and he'll lead you to the end. And he has an inheritance that is forever. This last, the way we keep the first commandments, no other gods, is we get on our knees daily and say, oh, Jesus, I need you. Oh, Jesus, I look to you. If you are here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins based on what he did on the cross, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. He makes a way for us lawbreakers to be right with God and be saved so this law can be a gift and start to be shaped in our lives so we can actually start loving God in a new way. I've said we need to love God with all our heart and neighbor, apart from God's help through Jesus Christ in the good news that comes and changes us little by little. Once, at one point when we get saved, it starts and we start to grow in the Christian life. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He wrestled with the guilt of the law for a long time. And he said it this way about himself. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives ye neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids you fly and gives you wings. And that is what turning to Jesus says. I can't run with the law. I must... Fly with you. I must be attached to you. Come to me. Help me. Lead me. Change me. We're going to conclude with this. On the back side, on this insert sheet, I encourage you this week to ask the questions, God, how must I receive instructions from the first commandment and what Pastor Daniel has said today? I I encourage you to, to make the most of this by by reading this, God, how, much, how might I give thanks to you? And how might I confess my sins to you? How might I pray? Oh, brothers and sisters and the family, by receiving and turning to Jesus uniquely. But oh, let us hear the instruction. God calls us to a loving obedience by trusting in him. Let us give thanks to such a good God that would rescue us. And then give us instructions and not leave us alone. And let us confess our sins that we regularly run after other idols and do not love God exclusively. He is just one part of our lives, not the, our life. And let us pray for each other. So let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up.
O Father. Prone to wander, Lord. Boy, we, I, pray, I think we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Take our hearts, O oh, take and seal them. From you, by you and your grace and mercy. Oh God, I pray that you would help us to receive the instruction about your law. And I pray that we would run after your law with all our heart, trusting in you and running to Jesus uniquely and worshiping you exclusively by shunning all other idols. Please help us. Thank you, God, that you're a God that delivers us out of our slavery and redeems us. Thank you that you're a God that speaks to us. Thank you that you're a God that has mercy and gives us papers in our hearts. We run after other gods. Please forgive us as a people. Forgive me as a person. Oh, God, please help us. Teach us your law that we may run in your paths. In Jesus' name, amen.